Hey ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm your host, Jared Weich. No Dom this week. Episode 204. Pretty packed episode. We have all the DC Fandom announcements, which are the two major games coming from WB Montreal and Rocksteady. And we have Opening Night Live, which Jeff Keighley set expectations correctly, but it still was a little meh, at least in my opinion. Uh, some cool stuff, but there wasn't any major announcements. I'm really hoping we see that at the Game Awards this year, which is still going on in December. Surprisingly enough, it wasn't delayed. That's it. Let's get into this news. And uh, yeah, sorry once again, whenever it's me ho hosting the show solo, it's usually a shorter show. Uh, try to talk about the news and everything, but talking about yourself, uh, you know, it's a little bit harder to get into that full hour, but we'll see what we can do. In the rundown, first up, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War was revealed. Be an in-game event. Multiplayer reveal will be on September 9th. Story trailer featured Ronald Reagan. Uh, that happened during opening night live, which won't be in the opening night live section later. So I wanted to mention it here up at the top. And it's going to be releasing November 13th, 2020. So quick turnaround for this game. We knew originally it was being worked on by Raven Software. There were some issues with the secondary studio helping out on the project, which I believe was Sledgehammer. And Treyarch stepped in thanks to Activision's kind of uh, manhandling of the situation. And told them to basically make it a Black Ops game. Um, if you don't remember, Black Ops 4 came out two years ago. Their dev cycle is usually three years. So it was a quick turnaround here. Game looks interesting. What I will say is I participated in the in-game event in Warzone. That revealed Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War's reveal trailer. I thought it was really fun. Uh, you had to do a series of missions which included killing five people in Warzone. Then finding a key. Then finding... I think like a location map or something for blueprints and then running into Frank Woods in the game and he gives you a blueprint for the SKS, which is really cool. And it aesthetically, it fits the Cold War, right? The 80s. So I thought that was really fun. Game's interesting. Multiplayer reveal. This is going to be big for Call of Duty. If they can transition their Battle Royale into a new game and do it effectively in a way that people attach to it the way they attach to Warzone when it first came out. This game can really have legs like Fortnite. You know, Call of Duty has legs. It has legs for the years upon years that it's released annually at this point. And this will be the quickest turnaround between reveal and release of a Call of Duty in quite some time. So we'll see what happens there. Very intriguing stuff. Next up, Joseph Staten, or Staten, maybe Staten. Uh, he's a former Halo dev, has been added as a project lead on Halo Infinite in an effort to help it reach the finish line. So he was also working on a a different Microsoft project and leading the helm on that. He worked at uh, Bungie back in the day for the first three Halo games. He was responsible for writing, editing, and directing all of the cutscenes in the first three Halo games, which is pretty phenomenal. And he is kind of beloved by hardcore Halo fans. And though this comes in the circumstances of, you know, 343 trying to get this game out probably by fall next year, I hope spring of 2021, bringing him back on, I think is also added to the point that they want to make this feel like old school halo and he has experience shipping games so i just think they want more leads on the project that have experience because of all of the outsourcing issues and all of that so it's good to see halos getting into a better place i think the game's going to be phenomenal when it comes out especially with the delay and you know the delay was a ballsy move and i don't know if anybody every publisher would have made that move but microsoft bit the bullet on that one and it's going to hurt their launch in some way i still think the xbox series x is going to sell out due to supply and demand in the current covid situation but all that being said you know not having a halo launch is less exciting uh any way you cut it so good to see joseph staten returning or staten i believe it's staten though 
for Halo Infinite and hopefully pushing it along through the finish line on that project. Next up, Fall Guys. According to PlayStation, Fall Guys is the most downloaded PlayStation Plus game of all time. No numbers were provided by PlayStation, but it beats Rocket League's uh, previous record on it. And it also saw over 2 million downloads on Steam. This game is taking the internet by storm. It's the new hotness. Streamers are loving the game. There's so much randomness and luck involved with the game that it adds to the entertainment value of playing it. Me personally, I cannot wait for this game to come to Xbox as a primary Xbox platform user. I'm seeing so many people have such a blast with it, and me and my friends want to get in and have a good time as well. I'm hoping that the exclusivity window was only a month, so the game came out on August 5th. Maybe by September 5th we hear news or rumblings of it launching into Game Pass or just coming to Xbox, period. It's only 20 bucks. I think it's definitely worth it. And it's cool to see the success it's having. It's the second big success in terms of multiplayer games released on PlayStation Plus we've seen this generation, with the first one being Rocket League. And it's no surprise that this game caught the world by storm and is beloved. And, you know, we'll talk about later in the opening life, opening life, opening night live segment of it teasing its second season, which is really cool. Next up, Jeff Grubb, who is a prominent gaming insider. All of you should know him by this point. We talk about him at least once a show, it seems, with his uh, Jeff Grubb's summer game mess that he's been providing all of us with dates. He stated that the initiative is working on a game in the Perfect Dark universe, but it's in the same way that Apex Legends takes place in the Titanfall universe. So, if you're familiar with Titanfall and Apex, you kind of understand where this is coming from, for those who don't understand. So Titanfall is obviously a game about mechs and your soldiers, and it's a first-person shooter. And Apex Legends takes place in the same universe, right? So there's familiar terminology for things, the big events that happen in the world everyone is known about. But it's completely detached from that. And what it is is it's this kind of pseudo game show with these people who are really good at killing other people. And it's on a separate planet, right? So you have nods to Titanfall. There's some of the same design language. But in reality, outside of loose lore connections, it, it, could, it could entirely be its own thing up, uh, on, in and upon itself, right? Um if you didn't know it was part of Titanfall Universe, that wouldn't affect your enjoyment of the game. And even if you do know it, it's not like it adds a whole lot to it. It's just for those hardcore fans who love the deep lore of it. So, with this Perfect Dark, so... I keep saying so, I apologize. This means that it'll likely not be called Perfect Dark, but it'll take inspiration from that game. It'll probably have similar mechanics, or at least updated ones that feel like they're rooted in inspiration from the Dark uh, Perfect Dark series. And we might see Joanna Dark in some capacity or maybe not but you know originally people thought oh it's a perfect dark game it's a perfect dark game i can't wait to see joanna dark and jeff grubb kind of halted those of like yo they're taking inspiration from perfect dark it might take place in the same universe but don't think you're getting joanna dark on the cover of a new perfect dark game so we'll see what happens there the last thing is more of a recent development uh thanks to ign and a couple of other outlets we got the rumblings and announcement of how the battle pass system is going to work in avengers marvel's avengers which is coming out at the beginning of september and boy howdy was it full of a lot of misleading headlines that kind of put the game in a worse light than it deserved to be and i think it's just because people want to hate this game so much at this point because it's not the game they wanted um but basically the way a lot of the headlines were pitched it was that each character in the game is going to have their own separate battle pass each one costs 10 bucks and you know, it's going to have cosmetics in it, essentially. 
So people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm spending $60 for the base game. And then I have to spend another 10 if I want to get all of Iron Man stuff or Black Widow stuff or yada, yada, yada. That's not necessarily how it works. So all the base character battle passes are free. And they'll give you 6,000 credits total, right? So you get 1,000 from each of them for completing them. So if I complete just Iron Man and Hulk, I'll have 2,000 credits in my bank. If I complete all six, I'll have 6,000, right? Then the way that works is that each DLC hero uh, and region, when they come out, are free. But if you want the battle pass for that character, it's going to cost 1,000 uh, credits, right? So when Hawkeye comes out, you'll get him for free, and you'll get all of the missions and stuff that he comes with for free. But if you want his battle pass that has a bunch of cosmetics in it, that's going to cost 1,000 credits. And you can spend $10 for it. Or by the time the DLC comes out, if you'd already completed one of the battle passes for, say, like, you know, uh, Kamala Khan, you already have 1,000 credits. Boom, you can buy the battle pass right then and there. And then the cool thing is with Hawkeye's battle pass, you also earn an additional 1,000 credits if you complete it. So if you just play the game, right, you can earn enough credits to uh buy DLC character battle passes. It's not as egregious as people are making it out to be. Now the big question is, if I'm being fully transparent, how grindy are these battle passes going to be? How long is it going to take, right? Cuz if I have to pump in 60 to 80 hours just to complete one battle pass to get a thousand credits to buy the thing, then it's like that's inflation, right? Assassin's Creed Odyssey had this problem with the the level up DLC that you could buy which I think was also $10. So it depends on how grindy they are. I just wanted to come in and be like, yo, this isn't as egregious as it sounds. This isn't as bad as these headlines are making it sound. Everyone's calling it a cash grab, yada, yada, yada. I mean, at the end of the day, this is all cosmetic stuff that doesn't affect your actual play. You can get other game, uh, other skins inside the game. And the cool thing with these battle passes, at least with the DLC ones we have to pay for, is that there's a free track that you can get on to unlock stuff. And then the moment you decide to buy it or you have the thousand credits to get it, it'll unlock everything you've unlocked up to that point, right? You don't lose out on playing that character and leveling up. It just, when you get to the point of being able to purchase the battle pass, it'll all unlock for you. And then the kicker at the end of this is that unlike most other battle passes where they're there for, you know, 60 to 90 days for a set amount of time, you either get in, get what you wanted, uh, or you miss out on it entirely, these don't go away. They're set battle passes for these characters. So Iron Man's battle pass on day one, you're going to be able to get that up until whenever right they might add additional levels to that um for some for credits or something like that but those initial 40 level battle passes will always be there um i just i think the argument that it's a cash grab and it's so egregious and yada 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 is a little bit hyperbolic and was overblown by the misleading headlines so but we'll see like i said the grinding of the levels is going to be a huge sticking point in terms of how generous this feels or if it does feel like it's gated off to a lot of people um i just wanted to get in there and talk about that because it's a game i'm interested in i'm excited for and when i initially saw those headlines i was like yikes this is not a good look for marvel's adventures i read into it because i'm not somebody who just looks at headlines and runs with that forever i like to you know look at the information and the details and i read up on it and i was like i don't know why people are so angry this seems really cool and it's one of the more generous battle pass systems we've had out there so but that's just my opinion. If you want to let me know what your opinion is, leave me a comment in the comment section below if you're watching this or listening to this on YouTube. Um, but yeah, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Jared underscore and let me know if why I'm wrong or maybe you agree with me that people are kind of being a little bit too hyperbolic about this. I'd love to hear your opinion, so let me know for sure. 
Next up, let's get into the big announcements of the week. So we had DC Fandom and we had Opening Night Live. We'll start off with DC Fandom because these were probably the two biggest game reveals we've had in a bit. And we've been waiting for them for quite a long time. First up, we had WB Montreal and they announced Gotham Knights. This was the rumor title for this game. And it was rumored to be a multiplayer experience. I'm going to run through some bullet points here and then give my thoughts at the end. So... First up, it's an action RPG playable solo or two-player co-op. Batman seemingly dead. You play as Batgirl, Nightwing, Red Hood, and Robin. The Court of Owls plays a huge role, which was revealed in the Stinger for the trailer. You can customize the characters. So in the trailer itself, we saw traditional red, green, uh, yellow Robin. And then later on in a section with uh, Barbara's Batgirl, we saw... Um, Red Robin's outfit as well. So you can customize it to be your Robin, your Red Hood, your Nightwing, your Batgirl, which is awesome. It's a self-contained story and not a games of service title and can be played solo offline, which is also huge. You know, people like their single player experiences and the moment four characters are shown, people were worried that, yikes, is this a four player games of service? Then you saw it was two player co-op and it's like, is this, you know, a co-op specific game? Turns out it can be played completely solo. It's a full open world, no level gating whatsoever. Uh, gear includes melee and ranged weapons and suits. Start of a new franchise. It's not related to Arkham, so that's a big thing. This doesn't take place canonically in the Arkhamverse. You can choose to play as one character the entire game, which is really cool. Adds to replayability. You can essentially play this through this game four times if you wanted to. A solo Robin run, Nightwing, Red Hood, and Batgirl. And it's like four different experiences, I'd hope, depending on the dialogue choices. Character builds vary widely depending on how you spec your knight. So my Barbara Gordon can play different than yours. My Robin can play different than yours. And from what we heard too, both of us, if I was playing with you, co-op, whoever's listening, both of us could be Robin. Both of us could be Red Hood, which is really neat. Um, and I don't know how they explain that in the world, but who cares? At the end of the day, it's probably not that important. Um, you know, you're playing a multiplayer game. You kind of brush that off in terms of immersion. Um, the combat will feel familiar to Arkham players, but new things added. For somebody who liked the Arkham combat like I did, but wished it was modernized and added a little bit more depth to it because it did feel a little button mashy, that's awesome to hear. I'm interested to see what these new additions are and how it feels. We saw the combo team-up moves in the reveal of the gameplay. And lastly, it's coming to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Series X, and PC in 2021. So we're hopefully getting this game next year. There was rumors it was supposed to come out this year, but due to COVID, it was kind of pushed to the following year, which makes sense. I think this game looks rad. I'm excited for it. I'm a huge Batgirl fan. I absolutely adore Batgirl. Nightwing is also one of my favorite DC superheroes. Red Hood, I can, you know, give or take with Red Hood. And Robin, obviously there's so many iterations of Robin. I don't, I haven't read up on this. I'm not sure if it's Tim Drake. It seems like it's Tim Drake, but... It'd be cool to see if we can get like maybe a Damian Wayne costume or something going like that. I know a lot of people are Damian Damian Wayne is very divisive among the DC fans. Uh, so who knows with that one? But Gotham Knights looks interesting. I like WB Montreal, and you know they never got the credit they deserved for their Arkham title. So we'll see what happens with Gotham Knights. I think it has a chance to be huge, especially with it coming out cross gen and hitting towards the beginning of this next generation where we're gonna have. A little bit more on the sparse side of video game releases, at least we assume, based on previous trends. Next up, we had Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. The reveal trailer spotlighted Deadshot, Harley Quinn, King Shark, and Captain Boomerang. 
Superman is being controlled by Brainiac, and he was shown as the alpha target at the end of the trailer. Primarily a third-person shooter, which is kind of surprising. I thought it was going to be maybe a third-person uh, action game. I guess you can, you know, some of the characters, what do you define as action, adventure, shooter, you know what I mean? It all blends together at this point. Continuation of the Arkhamverse. So this one is in canon, which some people have questions about Deadshot because, you know, he wasn't black in the Arkhamverse, but it might be a different Deadshot, um, you know, taking on the mantle of the mask, which has happened in comics. Uh, it takes place in Metropolis, it's, which is an open world environment. We saw what they did with Gotham. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Metropolis. Gotham was very dark and brooding. And now with Metropolis, it seems very shiny and bright and colorful because that fits the aesthetic of the Suicide Squad. Um, what else here we got? You can play solo or up to four player co-op. Still unclear if it is indeed a games of service title. This is me interjecting with my own opinion. I definitely think this is a games of service title. They're kind of skating around that term because it isn't the best term to use for your video game in 2020. And they're not going to outright say, yeah, our game is a games of service title. I 100%, I would put money on this, that this is a games of service title. Um, you know, Destiny has said, you can play solo or four-player co-op. Avengers has said, you can play solo or four-player co-op. Division has said, you can play solo or four-player co-op. It's a typical thing used by games of service games because they want to pull in that single-player audience as well. So I'm I'm of the opinion it's a games of service title, 100%. The interesting thing with this one is it's coming to PS5, Xbox Series X, and PC in 2022. If you notice, no current-gen hardware listed on that. So this is going to be the first WB Games published title that's going to cut the cord on current-gen. And we'll see how that benefits the game. And I'm interested to see who the other characters are because I doubt this game is launching with only four characters if it is what I believe to be a games of service. Now, I could totally be wrong, and it's maybe it's a one-to-four-player linear game like uh, Borderlands, right? Where they do only really have four characters, and they add one or two DLC characters later on. But I'm of the opinion this is going to be like Avengers, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have maybe two or three more characters introduced before the launch of this game. I mean, it's two years out at this point. Last week, if you listened to this show, one of my hopes and dreams for this game was that they were going to have King Shark. And it turns out it's a year of King Shark. We had King Shark in the Harley Quinn animated series. Obviously, he was a villain in the Flashy W series. And this year specifically, he was shown off in the Suicide Squad film by James Gunn. And now he's going to be in Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League, which is really awesome. And, you know, my dream came true. I like the tone of this game. I'm interested to see what the hook will be. And I know people are frustrated because people love Batman and they say they're WB's two leading studios creating games where you're not going to be playing as Batman, though Gotham Knights, Batman will probably be a post-game uh, DLC thing, I would assume anyways. I get that complaint. I get it. If Batman was my favorite superhero, he's definitely in my top five, but if he was my favorite, I would get the outcry and I would be a little bummed as well. Um, so I understand where people are coming from, but for me, as somebody who isn't Batman fan number one, I'm interested to see these directions of these games. And I'm also interested to see where these land in terms of the WB acquisition for WB games. Like if Microsoft purchases WB games, right? And Suicide Squad and Gotham, maybe not Gotham Knights because that's coming out in 2021, but Suicide Squad is so far out that the contract stipulations behind its release and everything can be rewritten upon an acquisition. If Suicide Squad can launch into Game Pass, that'd be huge for Game Pass and Microsoft, right? So... We'll see what happens there. I thought they were both interesting games. I know Batman fans are a little bit bummed, but 
A lot of what they showed is promising. I wish we got Suicide Squad gameplay, but it being two years out, I'm fine with that. I hope we don't see this game till next E3, around that time if we even have E3 or whatever that event is. And that's when they show us the gameplay leading up to the year until the release. You know what I mean? But that's just my opinion. Once again, let me know in the comments of the YouTube video or via Twitter if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify. What you thought of the two announcements at DC Fandom and are you excited that you won't be playing as Batman? Uh, does the games of service for Suicide Squad worry you? Let me know. Next up, Gamescom opening night live. So Jeff Keighley hosted a two-hour event showcasing updates on games, sprinkled with new announcements. Here are the most notable parts of the show. I M O. Dragon Age 4 uh, was shown. Bioware developer diary featured concept art, alpha game footage, voice performances, and environments. It was a typical game dev diary where they talked about their inspirations, what the franchise offers players, what they hope to do with the new entry. I did like seeing early game development stuff of seeing the gray character models and the gray environments where it's just bare bones, getting the mechanics in and the gameplay and bug testing and all of that stuff. And I loved seeing the voice performances from these characters we haven't met yet. I really enjoy Dragon Age. I think, you know, Dragon Age Inquisition got Game of the Year awards and then in retrospect, people hated on that game and said that I believe 2014 was a down year for video games and that's the only reason why Dragon Age won. I think that game kind of got, you know, lambasted for no reason. I thought it was a very solid game. Was it perfect? No. I, in my opinion, I thought it was much better than Dragon Age 2, which had so many repetitive environments. Didn't touch Dragon Age 1, but very few Western RPGs could. Um, I am so excited for Dragon Age 4. I hope, and I, I could be misinformed on this, I hope it is the Suicide Squad of Bioware where they just don't release it on current gen and make that cut and have it be a next gen only game because i think it'll benefit from that and bioware can use a win at this point mass effect andromeda they took a big l on that one and then anthem we all know what happened with anthem bioware is capable and very talented and if ea just loosened their stranglehold and maybe ea is turning a new leaf in recent years i think ea has shown that they've moved in a much more positive direction whereas activision has become a lot more like the ea people hated and once again, that's just my opinion. Um, you could feel differently. But I'm really interested to see what Dragon Age 4 has for us because it is one of my favorite franchises in gaming, and I want to see it succeed. You know, Elder Scrolls, Dragon Age, and then hopefully Avowed from Obsidian are going to be my Western fantasy RPG trifecta in next gen. And I really hope they all deliver because I love all of those studios, and I can't wait to see what they have for us in store with their next projects. Next up, Little Nightmares 2 coming... February 11th, 2021, later to next-gen consoles, Targir Studios, the developer, stated that owners of current-gen version will receive a free upgrade to next-gen. Shout-out to them. Please take a note, 505 Games. Uh, and if you didn't play Little Nightmares, the first one, it's a 2D platformer, one of the best horror games of the generation, in my opinion. Fantastic, very unique, very strange, very weird, very authentic to the developer's vision. And I don't want to say much more because I don't want to spoil it for people who are maybe hearing about Little Nightmares for the first time this week and want to dive in and see what it's all about. But it's very creepy, very Tim Burton-esque in the best of ways, and I think it's a must-play for anybody who's into horror games or 2D uh, platformers. In both of those cases, I think it's a must-play. And I can't wait for the sequel. And I love that you get the next-gen version with a free upgrade because it's going to have DLC like the original, and getting it for free is just an easy win. 
excuse me, Dom and I talked about this with the control situation. It's like, why piss off the people who are most loyal to your project in your development house, you know? I don't know. It just seems like an easy move, and thankfully, Tarzir Studios nailed it. Earlier, we mentioned Fall Guys and how it's now the most downloaded PS Plus game. On top of that, they revealed Season 2, at least a sneak peek at it, in Gamescom Opening Night Live. They teased new minigames and outfits, which are all high fantasy. So you have the dragons, your knights, your princesses, and all the minigames are themed. They have drawbridges and castles and spires. And it's something I didn't assume. My assumption for new games in Fall Guys was it's going to be the same aesthetic, just obviously different games with different rules. But for a new season to have a new theme and all of the mini games to reflect that, that's really cool. And I do think it can lend legs to the game and make it feel fresh because by month five, are people really going to be interested in doing Fall Mountain, right? And keeping these new themes, if they can be refreshing, and then once we get the licensed ones, like, imagine when we get the, either the DC or the Marvel licensed Fall Guys season with the costumes. It's going to be so great. And I hope this game succeeds. It seems like the party game wave of the future. And earlier I mentioned I wanted to see it come to Xbox. I hope it launches in Game Pass. Even if it doesn't, I'll pay 20 bucks immediately for it. All of my friends who own Xbox consoles and primarily game on those can't wait to get their hands on this game. And my worry is that maybe PlayStation tied this game up for a lot longer than we expect. My hope is that it was only a month of exclusivity and we'll see this game launch on Xbox before the end of the year. The more platforms this game is on, the higher chance it has to have legs in the future and succeed and still be this popular thing, you know, and um, we'll see what happens. But I did love the season two tease. Uh, weird that it was the central point of opening night live, but that's just the world we're in with COVID and game delays and all of that stuff. Next up, we had Teardown, which is an indie game that's been going viral on Twitter the last couple of years. It's an indie game from Tuxedo Labs, which is two people. And it's a fully destructible and interactable sandbox, very unique art style. And the demo they showed, or at least the trailer, was this character going into this little shanty island town, setting up an escape route by destroying certain parts of buildings so he has, you know, a path from breaking in to what seemed like a bank of some sort, getting, you know, breaking to the bank, using his escape route, and then disappearing on a boat. It's voxel art style, so if you're familiar with voxel, it's like, very high-res Legos, you know, it's Legos meets Minecraft kind of beautiful game. The dest fully destructible environments in their custom-built video game engine is really intriguing, and it's a game that seems like it seems like a concept still. And I hope that this exposure from Opening Night Life leads it to have maybe funding from a big publisher or the ability to hire on more staff. I just hope this game doesn't stay as a concept for years down the line and we're talking about this mid-gen as an indie release on the next-gen console. I hope it comes out a lot sooner than that, but we'll see. Next up was one of the more surprising announcements of Opening Night Live, 12 Minutes, which is the indie game coming exclusively to Xbox and PC and has you as a man in a time loop of 12 minutes, obviously. We've seen this game. Everyone's been excited for it. It looks very intriguing. The, the camera angle, the the narrative, just the situation you're caught in, the gameplay loop was going to be fascinating to check out. Whether it's Xbox putting money behind this or the publicity this game has gotten, they announced a stellar cast. The lead is going to be voiced by James McAvoy. Yes, that James McAvoy. 
the female lead is going to be voiced by Daisy Ridley. Yes, that Daisy Ridley from Star Wars. And the narrator of the game is Willem Dafoe. Yes, that Willem Dafoe from everybody's favorite weird film, The Lighthouse. Uh, this could be a really solid launch title for Xbox, for the Series X. So it's also coming out on Xbox One, which is the whole issue with you know Series X's launch and not having specific exclusives. Either way, this game sounds even more incredible than it was because the concept was already awesome. Now it has the talent behind it. And this has shot up my list of most anticipated games for the year. I love James McAvoy. I love Daisy Ridley. And Willem Dafoe is so iconic and interesting and unique in his own voice performances. So we'll see what happens with 12 minutes. I hope we get a release date by the end of the year. Still slated for this year. Maybe it's in that presentation where Xbox gives us the release date. Who knows? They ended on Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart and showed an uncut version of the demo showcase of the PS5 reveal event. So, you know how that one was a cut-up trailer where it kind of sped through the moments, the highlight choice moments of that. What I will say, the game looks incredible. I don't want to take anything away from Insomniac Games. I'm so excited to play this game when it comes out in the quote-unquote launch window, which they announced. The disappointing thing, I think, for me, is in the interview post-demo, they mentioned that the rifts that you pull to you are only are showcased in the demo for the demo, but in the game, they're going to be used at specific points in which you're chasing Nefarious, Dr. Nefarious. And that kind of bumped me out because I originally thought this was going to be a core gameplay mechanic of this game. But the way they made it sound is that it isn't. What it is is that this is the these are the set piece moments, right, where you're going to be using this. And I hope that's not the case because that's kind of, I don't want to say false advertising or anything like that, but it does hamper the excitement for it because that was the next-gen sticking point of, we couldn't do this with previous gen, but if it's only the, you know, the big moments of the game, like that's less exciting, right? At least for me, I don't know. I could be way off on this. Uh, let me know. I've called you guys many times in the show uh, to give me your opinions on Twitter or in the comments on YouTube where you're taking this in. I don't know. Just it, it, that made it less exciting for me. I'm still stoked to play Ratchet and Clank when it comes out, but that kind of, took the air out of the balloon for me you know hearing that and maybe i misunderstood what he said or maybe he misspoke i don't know but that's just the impression i got from the interview um who knows we'll see what happens my final thoughts on opening night live though good show for the circumstances no big announcements nothing crazy jeff Keeley did set expectations correctly which i appreciate he didn't overhype the show by any means he mentioned fall guys so many times though with the season two sneak peek but it is what it is. I enjoyed it for what it was. But I do hope that maybe he held some of the big surprises for the Game Awards at the end of the year because we could use some of those, um, especially with, you know, I'm recording this on August 29th, and it was revealed last night that Chadwick Boseman passed away from cancer, colon cancer. Obviously, the actor for Black Panther, Jackie Robinson in 42. So many amazing films and such an amazing talent. And you never know what people are going through. It's amazing that he shot all of those Marvel films and all of those other movies that he did going through that and no one knew. And, you know, I, it's a tough year. 2020 has been a rough year and I hope that maybe we can end it with a, a very trivial surprise of some new video games we didn't see for next gen and on the horizon. Um, yeah, sorry to bring it to such a sombering moment, but you know, that death really affected me for somebody I didn't even know, but he, he did so much with his work on screen and 
you know, it's unfortunate, but that's cancer, man. Screw cancer. Before we end the show real quick, in terms of what I've been playing, I've been playing some more Grounded. They had the new water update. They added a new crow to the game. Apparently a koi fish and bees, but I haven't run into them yet. That game's really cool, and obviously it's still in beta stage, but I'm intrigued to see where it ends up at the end of the day when it's a full release. And I'm going to be playing it along the way, and I hope that other people jump in because it could be the hidden gem of Game Pass. Fun survival game for anybody in any capacity of experience or age. It's just a great time. Played some more Warzone. Obviously told you guys about the in-game event. And what else? Madden 21. Been playing some of that with the new release. I cannot wait for Marvel's Avengers. Hopefully it turns out to be exactly what I wanted. I'm not expecting a 9 out of 10. I'm expecting at least a 7 that I have fun playing. And hopefully it is that. We'll see. Thank you guys for listening this week to the Controlled Interest Podcast. Or the Gamecast. I've never called it the podcast. It's a Gamecast. Come on now. If you can, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. It helps us moving up in the algorithm. I know it's a hassle. I know it takes time out of your day. I know I'm the same way. <laughs> I don't want to go do it. But I'm telling you, if you're somebody who listens to the show every week, please take the time out to do it for us because the more viewers we get on the show, the more it expands and the more we can do with controlled interests as a whole. And I appreciate anyone who listens to this on a weekly basis or even if you tune in every once in a while because I know there's so much in, to inundate you with out there in terms of content from content creators. But I appreciate anyone and everyone who listens or watches this um, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify as well. If you watch us on YouTube or listen to us on YouTube, however you take us in, please like the video if you liked it. Leave us a comment in the comment section. Like I said, I read all the comments and I reply to them as long as they're not like hostile or trolly. Um, so leave me a comment. Have a discussion with me. Numerous times in this show, I talked about hitting me up on Twitter about your opinions on some of the topics I discussed. I'll reply to you on Twitter too. I don't have many followers. I only have like, I think like 270 or something. So I see every notification I get. I'm, you know, I'm not Greg Miller with his millions of followers. No, I'm not bashing Greg by any means, but when you have that many followers, it's hard to see everything, right? It's just impossible. You'd be on your phone all day. Thankfully, I'm small still, so I can see any tweet I get. So definitely hit me up if you have any opinions or just want to talk to me about your favorite video games. I I'm down. Um, but thank you guys for listening to episode 204. I will catch you guys next week when hopefully Dom returns. See you guys then.